There you are, once more, faithful and kind friends. Welcome. I feel wonderful today. I feel joyful. I feel calm. I feel light. Nothing has changed to make me feel this way. I am here in my forest. I am the same as usual. I don't know why you would think otherwise. Is it perhaps you had a short visit from a different kind of me last week? Rest assured, it's still me. It's always me. But I long ago accepted just how much I am capable of changing week to week. I hope you don't mind, sweet friends. It's funny. In the ash of the great fire that sometimes visits my woods and visited me last week, as I told you, bright flowers bloomed all around me, and they have not stopped. They are everywhere. This whole place is a tapestry of flowers as bright as paint on a canvas. How miraculous. Last week I asked my tarot cards what I haven't told you, my dear friend. This week I asked my cards, what do you want to tell me? I did not specify whether you was my cards themselves, or whether it was you, my friend, my listener. Sometimes you are one and the same, you know. I drew, for the third time, the Page of Swords. Remember them? First, it appeared as a young lioness who willed herself into becoming human. Then it appeared as a beautiful automaton who willed others into listening to her original music. That is because this card represents, remember, rebellion, youth, curiosity, new ideas, new ways of doing things. So that is what you want to tell me? Am I correct in assuming that this is important to you? The breaking of boundaries, the diverting from already well-worn paths to new, unexplored ones, perhaps more rewarding ones, paths that are more true, more honest, maybe, or ones that are radically embracing of change. The death card I pulled last week, that speaks of change and perhaps being ready for it. But the Page of Swords does not wait for change. The Page of Swords seeks it out. Or even better still, the Page of Swords creates change. I have a story for you. A perfectly messy story for you. About people who did not wait for change to come and save them, but who created it for themselves in the most delightful way. Are you ready? Let's have a little fun. A man wandered a treacherous road once. He walked away from the city he'd known as his home for as long as he could remember. 
He traveled with only the torn clothes on his back and a small satchel with a bit of food. He was a slight and deft young man, which had served him well in his past life as a street thief. Always on his toes, living wherever he could hang his hat in safety for a night. Always finding and snatching up whatever food he could and stealing away with the skills of an acrobat before anyone knew something was missing. He could have been a dancer, or a clown, or a juggler, for how skillfully he moved, and how bright his smile was, and how playfully his eyes twinkled. It was a game he didn't mind playing for a number of years, and it was a game he played well, and it rarely hurt anyone. In fact, it would be very impressive to see if anyone were to ever see it. But actually, sometimes they did. More often than not, in fact, because he was growing reckless the more hungry he grew, the more lean times were for everyone. But he was not met with applause, of course. Everyone was on their guard. People were less generous and more vigilant. And the game was no longer fun for him. Not anymore, now that survival wasn't such a sure thing. And the hopelessness he felt when he considered trying to find a more stable way of life and all the impossibilities that would require felt so overwhelming, so dark and empty and miserable, that he decided he'd had enough. So he left. It was dangerous. It was foolish. But he would rather face the wilds of the world on his own than beg to be let into a society that did not want him. That's why he walked with a whistle, despite the pain in his feet and the sweat on his brow and the hunger in his belly. Let what will be be, he thought to himself, and I shall be what I am. What was that, though? He thought on it as he moved. What was he, after all? What was a thief with no one to rob? What was a trickster with no one to deceive? What was a clown with no audience? The road that led away from the city led towards an ancient forest, a place forgotten by time, a place too treacherous for man to explore anymore. He journeyed through it anyway, though it wore away at his shoes, though the rain made him cough and wheeze, though his back ached. And then, a pack of wolves caught his scent. He ran as the sun set, and despite his own exhaustion, he leapt like a deer over rocks and stumps and shrubs. He wove in and out of the trees at an incredible sprint. He felt the tree branches and the leaves graze his face as he practically flew through the woods. And he found himself then in a glade, with a clear river, empty space full of green grass, and open sky overhead and a little village, barely more than a camp, just little huts made of mud, 
each with a little fire inside of it. He cried out for help. He cried out, Wolf! He cried out in pain. And before he knew whether or not anyone had heard him, he fell to the ground, and everything went black. He awoke a few hours later to the smell of a burning fire, and what seemed to smell like various dried herbs. He would not have recognized any of them, but as his vision cleared and he looked up, he could see bunches of lavender, of rosemary, of thyme, hanging from the straw ceiling above him. Welcome, stranger, he heard a voice say. He looked over, and he saw someone huddled by a small fire with her back to him, tending to a little pot of tea. She wore a black cloak with a hood over her head, so he could not see much about her. She was surrounded by the hazy orange glow of the fire, and he tried to blink it away so that he could focus his vision a little more, but his head was throbbing. She came over and gave him a cup of fine-smelling tea. Drink this, she said. You're quite ill. And he did. And indeed, the drink instantly began to make him feel much better. The wolves, he mumbled, clasping his head. They're gone, she said, and gently but insistently brought the cup to his lips again. What luck that you found us here. What luck you came to us this night. He sat up and blinked, his vision returning somewhat to normal. He could hear perfectly, however. He knew because he heard that the rain had stopped outside of the hut, and he heard voices outside, and the sound of work, something being built. Soft voices, joyful voices, pleasant laughter. Yet she had said this night. Why were they working in the evening, he wondered. It is a very special night, wanderer, the woman said, and checked his brow to make sure his fever had died down. A special night indeed for us. You've come on the eve of a great celebration. He smelled burning wood, and more. Something like flowers, like herbs, like fruit roasting, maybe, coming from outside. What are you celebrating? He asked absently, trying to catch a peek of the work being carried out out there. We celebrate the night of his arrival, the woman said as though surprised the man did not understand, and he could see her smile shining from under the cloak of her hood. Her lips were stained a strange blue-black and her skin was surprisingly smooth given the age he perceived in her voice. The night when he will come and take us far, far away from here. The young man arched his eyebrow, quite skeptical of the whole affair. I see. Who is he? And where will he take you, exactly? The woman sat up a little more straight a little more stern in her demeanor, bristling a little at the quotation marks she could hear in his tone. 
He is our patron. He is the one who laughs on the wind, the one who makes everything light as a feather. He is coming. We have been waiting for many, many years. And tonight is the night. We must be ready for him. The young man said nothing for some time. As he smelled smoke coming from the great fire that was set up outside the hut, and he heard voices singing and instruments chiming out into the night, he couldn't help but feel just a little afraid, though he didn't really know why. It was the song, foreboding and a little dark, yet tinged with just a whisper of joy and excitement. He felt his heart begin to pound in time with it. Are you feeling unwell again, wanderer? The woman asked. He shook his head. I'm quite well. I think perhaps I should leave he said, as he saw from the open door a circle of women in black cloaks, singing and swaying to their song. You cannot leave now, the woman reassured him in a gentle voice. The fun is just beginning. The smile on those blue lips did nothing to calm his spirits. Yet when she held his hand for a moment, he couldn't help but feel a little more calm, despite the doubt whispering to him from the back of his mind. Rest, stranger. I must go join the preparations. And she left him alone. I do not like the sound of this. Not one bit, he thought to himself, as he heard their laughter grow louder at the appearance of their sister. Who was he? Surely these were some kind of coven of strange zealots. Perhaps they were dangerous. He went to the door and peeked around the side of it to catch a glimpse of the others. They were all young. We have been waiting for many, many years, she had said. And yet even the eldest of them appeared to be not much older than he was. Just what exactly was this place? His attention was drawn by the sound of groaning outside, grunting as they hauled a huge wooden throne upright. It was a heavy wooden thing, excellently made, with symbols and drawings carved into it. It was right before the great campfire they'd set ablaze, they wiped their brows from the effort and laughed uproariously as they removed their cloaks. Splendid creatures they were, nothing like any of the people from the city. They wore gowns that seemed ancient compared to where he was from, and yet they were dyed with rich, natural colors, blue like blackberries, green like grass, red like blood. So too had they dyed their hair. So too had they decorated their mouths, their arms, their hands. 
but this was not what made them different from the people in his hometown. What made them different was the way they danced, the way they sang, the way they laughed. Loudly, with abandon, deeply, as though giving themselves over to something he couldn't see. Light as feathers, he thought to himself. They are light as feathers. Not because of the way they looked, for these women were of a variety of shapes and sizes and heights and weights and, and you understand what I mean. They were light as feathers because they were completely free. Free as he wanted to be. As he remembered once feeling in a different time, in a different place, in the city where he... What had he done there? Why did he leave again? He couldn't quite remember. Was it the tea? Was it their dreadful song? He wasn't sure, but... Everything before this night suddenly seemed very distant, very foggy, very... unimportant. It doesn't matter, he thought to himself. I'm here now. It's all been leading to this. What? And the women joined hands around the fire, around the empty throne, and they chanted their song even louder. He couldn't quite make out the song. Not yet. But he couldn't tear his attention away from it either. So he gingerly stepped out of the hut, not trying to draw attention to himself, but just trying to hear it a little better. He couldn't help but watch them. They had a secret. A secret he didn't understand. The young man could barely believe his eyes. While they held hands and sang with their eyes closed, every single one of them began, slowly but certainly, to hover off the ground, their feet first just inches over it. But then soon, they were several feet up in the air, and their smiles widened as they danced with greater fervor. We 
We know how the moon rolls far away from here. We know all that we don't know could fill a lifetime of those castles on the earth. Oh, your We know it well, but we can't tell, we don't. Now the witches were high up in the sky, higher than the tallest trees near them. And the higher up they flew, the more ecstatic their dance, their song. He walked closer to them to watch them. Standing near the fire, he looked up and saw their feet. The way their feet danced on an invisible floor above him was almost comical. The way they moved, the smiles on their faces. It was strange to behold, and indeed, it was very beautiful, but it was also a little bit funny. So he laughed. He laughed harder and harder as he watched them, and some of them laughed as well, even through their song, as his laughter flew up and up into the sky and joined them, and it made them fly even higher. (laughs) Wait, he called out, suddenly sad to see them drifting from him. At that moment, His eyes on the sky. He didn't realize how close he was to the throne. He stumbled and fell backwards onto it. Under his fingertips he traced the symbols carved in the wood. He did not know what they stood for. But he did know that he felt suddenly quite joyful and light and empty but in the best way. As he watched the flying witches overhead, beautiful and unique and enviably free, he smiled broadly. I can't remember who I was, he thought, and tears streamed down his cheeks. It was so funny, wasn't it? Was I a thief? Did I live somewhere else? It all seems unimportant suddenly. Suddenly all that seems to matter is... A scream heard in the distance, and the cries of angry and frightened men and women. The witches looked down at some hunters, some townsfolk not too far away, but they just pointed and laughed. The young man was worried for a brief moment. If they are from the city, perhaps they are coming to arrest me for my crimes. Perhaps they are coming to get me and bring me back. I don't want to go back. I don't want to. But as he saw how little the dancing witches cared, he felt relieved. What have I to fear, after all? that they do not have. 
how funny it all seemed again. How meaningless his old fears, his past pain. Letting it all go, letting it all fly away with those witches. He felt his pain, his sorrow, his longing, his anger, and his deep, dark hunger, all from a time past, bubbling up within him. He may not have remembered its source, for this song drove out of his mind any kind of memory of anything that was not singing and laughing and dancing, and it came through his throat, and it released itself in a wave of pure, joyful, mischievous, uproarious laughter. He had to close his eyes against it, so powerful it was. Above him, he heard the women laughing, cackling, giggling, first distant, but then suddenly very close, all around him. And he opened his eyes and realized he too was flying. His throne was midair, and he was light as a feather. Each one came to him and placed a flower garland around his neck, or on his head, or around his wrists. Each one kissed his cheek and welcomed him. He had cried out in the night, had he not? And they had found him, hadn't they? With his laughter, the farther away everyone below him became. How small the city appeared to be in the distance from this wondrous height. He laughed even harder. He stood up on the throne and he danced with them. How they laughed and cheered when he leapt and floated midair, deft as a street thief, skillful as an acrobat, graceful as a bird, diving, falling, flying, spinning. A sight to behold. He spun each one of his faithful followers in his arms one at a time and danced with the welcoming arms of the altogether wise and the wild, the ancient and the young women, the laughing women, those who didn't care to keep their feet on the ground, but rather sought only to dance on the air, feet over a fire with he they had waited so long for. And as he danced with each one of them, he didn't stop for long enough to realize that all the colors of their natural paints and dyes they'd stained their own skin with had been streaked across his body, making him a work of art, a colorful mess. True to form, he changed indeed, one eye red, one eye green, his hair now completely white, though in the moonlight and the firelight it seemed to reflect every color back. He sighed and laughed and wept and sang, because what else can one do upon the realization that everything one was ever destined for was being fulfilled in this very moment? Pure joy. Pure grief, pure mischief, 
pure victory. A greater crowd grew below them now. An angry crowd. A vicious crowd. Screaming at them to come down at once. The witch coven in flight. And the god they summoned. Into his body he'd long ago forgotten about. And only tonight remembered. The fire grew larger as the angry crowd burned the coven's treasures. As they lit torches preparing to battle the fearsome group. It only made the coven and their precious deity sing louder. And upon that, when they had danced their fill and ensured that their song was heard, and once they knew they had an audience, the joyful, playful king and his treasured cabinet of magic women guiding him to his own light all brought their hands together in a great round of applause for themselves, and they disappeared into thin air. Where did they go, I wonder? I wonder because I do not know. But what I do know is that every time a wanderer finds themselves lost in the woods, because they would rather risk the fearsome wild than the cruelty of society, in this strange and magical corner of the world, the witch coven reappears, and they summon with their laughter, their lord, who embraces anyone who would dare risk such a journey. And he rewards them with complete and utter weightlessness and laughter.
We know how the wind blows, my friend. We know that the wind is changing. It is changing all of us. It advises us to take care what we place our value on. It instructs us to remember just how futile and how funny these rules we've imposed on ourselves are. Really, we only have ourselves to laugh at. Because we can take a perilous journey into the unknown. But we can do it together, can't we? Can we bring the sky to the city? Can we bring laughter to the cruel? Am I making sense anymore? But know this. We are staying right here. These witches. This lord of playful mischief. Sure, they can disappear into the sky because they had waited for countless years. And for that they earned respite. They earned flight and freedom. But know this. We must find our flight and our freedom here. So I'm staying here in my forest. I am laughing here. I am dyeing myself whatever colors I like. Whatever colors I feel on the inside. I feel like showing on the outside now, because otherwise I would just be gray, colorless, empty. No, I am instead being who I want to be, and laughing at anyone who chooses not to accept it. It's funny. It seems like a heavy task. But it's such a light one. It makes me feel lighter and lighter. Lighter than air, even. I hope you can feel that, too. It's funny. Good night, my friends. Take my blackberry blue, my grass green, my blood red with you tonight, and paint your dreams with it. I hope you sleep well. Until next time. Thank you so very much for joining me this week for another episode of On a Dark Cold Night. This is your podcaster here, writer, composer, host, producer, etc., Kristen Zaza. I hope you're doing well, my friends. Indeed, there's been a bit of a light at the end of the tunnel here for us. Things are gently opening again, knock on wood. I would like to send a few thank yous this week. First to a brand new monthly patron of the show through Patreon.com, 
big thank you going out to Nikki Lee. Thank you so very much for supporting what I do, Nikki Lee. I'm so happy that you uh, enjoy what I do, and I'm, I'm so grateful. If you'd like to support the show like Nikki Lee, head on over to patreon.com slash darkcoldnight, where you too can become a monthly supporter. Every monthly supporter receives access to my ever-updated soundtrack of the show, so feel free to learn more again at patreon.com slash darkcoldnight. If you'd prefer to donate one time only and aren't interested in listening to the soundtrack, you can also donate via coffee.com. Learn more at ko-fi.com slash darkcoldnight. And we do have t-shirts and hoodies available at bonfire.com slash on-a-dark-cold-night. I would also like to thank two people who left very sweet five-star reviews of the show on iTunes. Big thank you to iTunes listener Swizzle Sticks from the U.S. for leaving a really wonderful review. And thank you as always to Rennie A. from the U.S. as well for your updated review. Thank you so much Swizzle Sticks and Rennie A. for your support and sharing your thoughts about the show. If you'd like to leave a review as well, iTunes reviews really do help podcasters get word of mouth out there. So please feel free to leave us a review on iTunes, or you can also share your thoughts on my Facebook page or anywhere else you like to review podcasts. I'd also love if you followed me on social media. I'm on Twitter at A Dark Cold Night, Instagram at Dark Cold Night Podcast, and my Facebook and YouTube pages are just called On A Dark Cold Night. Like I said, give me a follow, a shout out, a friendly hello. I would love to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening again this week and spending story time with me. Please take good care of yourselves, my friends. Be well, sleep well, and we'll speak again soon. Good night. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. Sonar.